Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt and Jero and I are going to be talking about enduro. So this is a hot topic in mountain biking, or at least it has been for a few years now. And we've talked about enduro in the past on the podcast. Uh, we've reviewed some enduro bikes, and you know, have talked about it in reference to a number of other topics. But this time, we wanted to really focus in on it and like give sort of the history of enduro and sort of how it's influencing mountain biking throughout right now. So let's start off by asking what does enduro mean and where does that term even come from? So from the best info I could find, it seems like it comes from uh, enduro moto racing, which is a somewhat similar format and started in France uh, somewhere around 2003 with some of the first, with some of the first races that um, Fred Glow and other folks were putting on. The, the tribe sports group mm -hmm. and they essentially wanted to create a race that was similar to their weekly rides where they go out with friends and climb and then see how fast they can go downhill. Yeah. And you're talking about the moto guys were doing this. They were both moto and mountain bike racers, but they, they were interested in creating this mountain bike event. So Fred and some other folks uh, in Southeast France created this, you know, allegedly created this genre. Hmm. Interesting. So the moto discipline and the mountain bike discipline essentially started at the same time. Is that what you're saying? The moto discipline had been around for quite a while. Okay. Uh, it's just where the mountain bike discipline takes its name. Right. And so 2003 was when the bike version of it started popping up. Yep. Cool. So I'm fascinated by this as a moto concept. So people would race their motorcycles downhill and would not time the uphills. Is that right? Uh, it wasn't necessarily downhill but it was through or is uh through some really technical section and a series a series of technical obstacles and that's timed and then there's transitions between those and then there are also moto enduro and hard enduro where folks just ride more like a cross-country race hmm. interesting but they also call that enduro so yeah the moto version is definitely a little different Okay. Yeah. I think for a lot of people who aren't familiar with it, when you first hear that term, it sounds, sounds similar to like endurance and you, you might think of like a cross country race or something, but that's, that's not exactly the case. Um, though it is still a very physical discipline, right? Because you have to make it to the top of all these downhill stages under your own power. And so there is a lot of like energy management going on where you can't be getting tired out from the climbs and then hoping to do well on the descents uh, where you actually are timed because, because descending is still hard work, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's still a lot of, a lot of fitness to train for and enduro racing. It's just, it's a much different demand to like train for as well, rather than just mm -hmm. getting a ton of base endurance like you would for a, a cross country race or something. Yeah. For sure. You've got to spend a lot of time in the gym doing injury prevention work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, and I feel like just boosting like anaerobic power too. You know, with like sprints, like flat sprints and everything like that. It's it's, it's such a different heart rate zone than than steady state cardio. Yeah, for sure. So why do you guys think that enduro is such a buzzword in the mountain bike world? And is this just like a fad that we're going through right now? Or is this something that's worth paying a little more attention to? I mean, personally, like I wouldn't say it's a fad. I think like, I mean, it's been so dominant over the past five, six, seven years in the U.S. And then gaining like this huge world stage now with the EWS. I mean, I think it's something that's hit a peak or is going to hit a peak and not be as popular as it as it has been, but um, I don't think it's going anywhere for sure. What do you think, Jero? Here it seems to be the most popular genre of racing, really. Um, a lot of folks from XC and downhill are moving to Enduro just either to try something new or because that's where sponsors are or a host of reasons, but it's it's super popular both for spectators and racers. Yeah. And it, it is hard to say, yeah, this is sort of a peak. I know, Matt, you've been working on a story about some of the Enduro series here in the U.S. that are kind of scaling back a little bit, maybe. But at the same time, it's still Enduro is just now sort of getting the recognition uh, from like the UCI and different groups like that. So it is kind of hard to say, have we peaked or, or is there still a little bit higher for it to go? Yeah, exactly. Um I mean, it's definitely like what it's probably the most popular discipline right now. Yeah, I mean, I'd say without a doubt and getting a lot of validation again from UCI and becoming more recognized. And yeah, to where I guess maybe it was people had a hard time recognizing it. And it's like, yeah, okay, is this is this really like a, a discipline of its own or what is it exactly? And, and now you're seeing like the UCI getting more involved in it because it has gotten so big that, yeah, hard to say if it's peaked or where exactly it's at right now, but it's absolutely still relevant. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting too, because I feel like when, when we were talking with some of the mountain bike pioneers, like Gary Fisher and Charlie Kelly and those guys, um, they seemed really excited about Enduro as being sort of aligned with their original vision for mountain biking, you know, which was, was timing, timing the descents. I mean, downhill certainly is like that, but I think Enduro is more closely related to what they were trying to do uh, when it all got started. And, you know, people had been riding bikes off road well before mountain bikes were invented. You know, people would ride all kinds of bikes, but they were pedaling them and they were not necessarily focusing on like going downhill fast. And that's what Enduro is all about. And I think you see a lot of passion around that. A lot of the brands and people see that as being like really aligned with, I think the spirit of mountain biking and and the roots even. So it's definitely here to stay in my opinion and will continue to be, I, I think kind of foundational to mountain biking in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's a good point about with the history. I mean, yeah, that's what they were doing is taking their bikes up and bombing down the fire roads. So, yeah, I don't know. I wanted to research a little more. I mean, I don't know if they were shuttling. I don't get the sense that they shuttled vehicles or anything at that point. Like they had to build these bikes that you could pedal uphill or, or push them, I guess, if you had to. But really the, the parts that they were timing were the descents. And so they were optimizing the bikes for that. Yeah. Another piece of the growth here as well as there's a lot of uh, e-bike enduro races Hmm. and there's even like e-bike specific races where there's like super steep climbs or longer climbs in the middle of a downhill stage where 
you know, you just wouldn't see that kind of thing in a regular enduro race. So it's, that's grown massively. The first enduro I went to this year, I think there were 50 people on e-bikes racing. Whoa. Wow. All in their own category. So it's, it's kind of exploded. Yeah. Yeah. People would be losing their minds if the e-bike categories out here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Interesting. So we kind of touched on this, but what makes enduro racing different from other race formats like downhill or cross country? Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, I guess when it first started gaining popularity, it was sort of a combination of both of them. Yeah. And I guess to sort of speak to it on like the world stage where in an XC race, you have the entire category on the course at once competing against each other. It's a little bit more similar to downhill racing where people are pedaling up to the top of the course and Mm -hmm. are on the track most of the time, one at a time, you know, they're starting racers one at a time at the, at the given stage start gate. And yeah, so it's not like they're unleashing an entire category on uh, one trail at a time. Yeah. Another thing that kind of makes it unique Jero, I guess, is on-site racing. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so a lot of races now will have have it set up so you can ride the course one time at a specific time the day before, and that's the only time anybody's going to see the tracks. So maybe it favors locals a little bit because they'll know the trails better. But otherwise, you're essentially racing uh, literally on-site on what you can see as you're going down the track, there's no, you don't have any idea what's coming up. Mm -hmm. The best you can do is watch a GoPro video of your practice runs and go over it that way. But that's kind of your only, your only real tool. And then there are some races where you, nobody has seen the track at all. There there is no pre-riding whatsoever. And sometimes they're even on new trails. And so that's truly on-site racing, which from what I'm told was kind of where Enduro started. Yeah. Well, and that's very different from like a downhill race where people have multiple opportunities to ride the track and to qualify. And, you know, the track is very familiar and typically the downhill courses are going to be very well marked. You know, if if they don't have tape from top to bottom, it's going to be pretty close to it. Whereas uh, enduro races, a lot of them are going to take place in sort of, you know, inaccessible areas like their backcountry enduros and um, enduros that cover a lot of distance. And so the, the tracks aren't always really well marked. And so, again, you're, you're flying into these corners and turns and things that maybe you've never seen before or, you know, have only seen once. And so that, that does make it a lot different from, say, a downhill race. For sure. Another big distinction is though you are timed on the downhill and it is a series of downhill races, most of the races span four to six hours of pedaling time Mm -hmm. throughout the day. So you still have to be able to get your bike under a certain amount of time to the top of the next stage. And sometimes the transitions are short enough that you have to pedal pretty hard. Yeah. And it depends on how things are set up. Right. So there are also, I guess, some fairly unique safety concerns when it comes to enduro racing, especially compared to like cross country racing. So how does that work? What are some of the mandatory pieces of equipment that a lot of races are going to require? For our races here, the mandatory equipment is almost always the same. You have to have a back protector that's certified, a full face helmet with a certain certification and knee pads. And that's it. I believe you have to have sleeve jerseys on your uh, sleeves on your jersey, but huh. 
Oh, no tank tops. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, probably a good idea. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's a rule. Yeah, no cutoffs. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're going to the golf course. So, is that? Do they have those same? precautions for downhill races? I guess I've never really considered that, but do they have similar safety requirements? I mean, most people are going to naturally just suit up as much as they can, uh, but is that left up to the racers more in downhill, do you think? I think a lot of it depends on what country you're racing in also. I forget who it was last year. I want to say it was like, I really want to say it was Loic Bruni, but I can't remember who was, um, or maybe it was Finn Isles, but yeah, who was like on their about to start their world cup final run and they couldn't because they had forgot. Uh, I think it was like a back protector or something like that, that they, it was like mandatory to have, um, at whatever venue that was. So yeah, a lot of it definitely has to depend on, on what country or maybe even the venues rules. Right. Yeah. Like out here, it's, uh, it really fluctuates a lot out here. I've been to like some gnarly enduros where it's like full face all the time, especially in a bike park. Like if you're at a bike park, you're just going to have a full face anyway. Mm -hmm. But then some of it's like you can race three out of four stages with a half shell, Mm -hmm. but full face is mandatory on one certain stage. And then, um, yeah, I've, the ones I've been to, I've never had knee pads or really anything else like mandated, which is interesting. Yeah, but it should be said that all that stuff is generally a good idea. And it's kind of common sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, it, it, it is uncomfortable. So there is a trade off uncomfortable for the climbs. And so people do various things to make that more comfortable or, or whatever. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about enduro specific gear. So we talked about how the race format is sort of unique. And so, of course, that's going to dictate that the bikes are going to be different from cross country or downhill bikes. So is there such a thing as an enduro bike in your opinion, or are these just, just bikes? Yeah. I mean, I guess like what it's the nomenclature for it is kind of funny sometimes, but I mean, yeah, look at like the pivot Firebird 29, like that's an enduro bike. Like they designed it for the EWS. It is kind of okay to like pedal uphill and it bombs downhill. So yeah. And you know, the whole 160 mil travel category. And if you go to a bike brand's website, they're going to, some of them are going to say all mountain bikes. Some of them are going to say enduro bikes and I don't know, potato, potato, I guess. Right. And and you don't necessarily have to have that though, right? I mean, plenty of people will show up to an enduro race on a trail bike, right? Yeah. Depending on how aggressive it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've raced an enduro on a YT GFC with 140 millimeters and I think you would call that a trail bike. Yeah. And it worked great. It was fun. The setup was a little light. I broke some things, but, (laughs) uh, I mean, I think that's part of the thing is like most bikes that are being marketed as enduro bikes are slightly less slack downhill bikes that you can pedal. Okay. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. You know, it's like a big burly bike that's really designed to go downhill Mm -hmm. that can be pedaled. Yeah. And it seems like in this category too, there's a lot of focus on making the bikes lighter in whatever ways that they can while keeping them obviously very aggressive just because you have to pedal the bikes uphill. I mean, with the downhill bike, that's, that's not really a concern. I mean, it's like all of the focus just goes on, like make this thing more durable and 
give it more travel. But with enduro, there still is that compromise that you have to make between a lightweight bike that's pedalable and then something that you can just bomb down. Yeah, for sure. There's still folks putting carbon cranks and carbon handlebars and other things to lighten up the bike a little bit. Yeah. So that kind of bleeds into enduro products. So we're, we're hearing this as well. The, the term enduro applied to all kinds of stuff. So not just races, not just bikes, but there are enduro helmets and there are enduro packs. So how does enduro racing influence product design? Yeah. I mean, that's like, yeah, been over the past five or six years or, or however long. I mean, I think that's like driven probably the majority of bike technology and in the past five or six years to where people are chasing that it's like the dream bike right it's not terrible to pedal uphill and it rides like a downhill bike so Mm -hmm. you know what's not to love right the downhills are the fun part anyway so exactly yeah (laughs) (laughs) totally and then in terms of the rest of the gear it's kind of like stuff that's really durable but a little bit lighter a little more breathable it's kind of perfect i mean it's stuff that people were probably using to race downhill for a long time but now it's a little better it's lighter it breathes better and there's companies are having to focus on that and having to focus on making gravity gear that you actually want to wear which is pretty cool yeah so we talked about too like how pads and protective equipment are a thing and so yeah you're seeing you know, lighter weight pads for one thing, but then you're seeing like the packs are having straps. So you can strap your, your pads on there. You can strap a full face helmet on to your pack. Uh, so you don't have to wear that while you're climbing. Then you've got like the helmets themselves. You've got like the bell super with the removable chin bar so that again, you can be not get all hot and sweaty and have to carry around a bunch of weight on your head going on the climbs, but then you have that extra protection when you go downhill. And that's product that like would not have existed in my opinion without Enduro. Like there really wasn't a big need for that kind of thing. For sure. Same with that, uh, Giro switchblade helmet. It's right. You know, it covers like the ears entirely and it just has the, the chin bar on it. Yeah. Totally Enduro. Totally, totally enduro. Right. Yeah. And then a lot of the stash tools and hip packs and backpacks with back protectors in them. And then like all the way, I think the technology coming from enduro or thanks to enduro goes all the way even to cross country bikes. Like they're getting more fun. They have slightly slacker head tubes, longer reach. Like the bikes are more, the geometry is more set up and the builds to be fun instead of like just a road bike with slightly shifted geometry fatter tires yeah yeah it's i mean everything is improved for sure and what's interesting is a lot of these products are not just for enduro racing i mean this stuff this is across all categories now like you guys said for cross country but even if you're not racing you're just going out for a ride i mean it's super convenient to just have a hip pack like people are starting to Mm -hmm. you know enduro kind of I feel like popularized that and maybe it also made a lot of people think like, oh, hip packs are not for me. But I've noticed on my rides here in town, you know, trail kind of cross country rides, a lot of the guys are starting to wear hip packs now and they're like, oh, this is actually really great. It's way better, right? (laughs) Yeah. So it's interesting to see that. And then other stuff like tire inserts, you know, burlier brakes. Tire casings. Yeah. Heart, more durable tires. Yeah. People are like 
taking their cross country bike and putting a tire on that used to be made for like downhill yeah. just cause it, it rides a lot better and, and it's a lot more fun going down for sure. And everybody's got a four piston brake now. There's, yep. There's really, most bikes will take 180 mil rotor and most trail bikes anyway, even a 200, if you want, like you can have massive amounts of stopping power and a super capable bike. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that would have happened without this race genre. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. What about dropper posts? Do you think that was influenced by Enduro? Totally. Yeah, for sure. At least popularized. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though, because it's almost like you wouldn't need one for Enduro because you stop at the top, right? And you have time to like put your seat down. Like it's not like you have to transition quickly between like going up and going down. It's almost like, like that's the one place you kind of don't need a dropper post, but that's probably just crazy talk. I mean, the ones I've done, like, yeah, you'll have, I don't know. I remember doing one in Steamboat and it was like a six mile descent or something like that. And then two miles in, you've got a half a mile climb. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's insanely awful. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, definitely could have like a dropper post. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely put my post up in the middle of a stage before when it was time to really like climb hard. And I wanted to also sit down for a second makes makes a big difference yeah well if anything it's like enduro kind of bifurcated the the whole idea of mountain biking right like there's the uphill part and there's the downhill part and so things like dropper posts let you do both with the same bike and make it pretty easy to transition between them and and even like the flip chip idea and things like that right because people realize like yeah downhill bikes are awesome going downhill and cross-country bikes are great for climbing up like what if we could just put the two together and so it's been yeah just so much innovation between the two there for sure yeah and that even goes into suspension like a lot of forks these days don't have a handlebar mounted lockout Mm -hmm. and they don't really need one you just get to the top of the hill open it up and take off yeah yeah you're not really going to get in a situation or most people are not where they want to lock out their fork or their shock on the way down an enduro stage like that's imagine pretty rare yeah and so it just kind of simplified things in terms of dampers yeah for sure yeah i feel like the same for rear suspension too like progressive suspension does designs have just gotten better because you don't yeah you don't want to hit that lockout all the time and if you're you know if you you can be on a suspension platform where you're staying in that like top 30 percent and then on the climbs and then you know diving deeper into it when you need it on the descents then it's going to be a lot nicer to pedal around and yeah for sure well, we start out by talking about Enduro as a race format because that's how it all got started. And then I think we've made a pretty good case for there being a place for Enduro bikes and even Enduro products or at least Enduro influenced products. So is it possible to classify trails as Enduro? Like, can you just go out for an Enduro ride? Definitely heard people use that term. Yes, <laughs> but I don't. Yeah, same here. I mean, I think of it. Just sound kind of silly. Like if I text my friend, "Hey, do you want to go for an enduro <laughs> ride?" and they'd be like, "Yeah, where are you racing?" I'm like, no, <laughs> exactly. Right. Oh well, let's just go on a mountain bike ride. <laughs> yeah, it's just there's nothing wrong with the term. I guess it just seems unnecessary. Like we're going on a mountain bike ride. We're yeah. probably going to climb up and then descend and like normal. <laughs> <laughs> right. We don't need a name for it. <laughs> yeah, I guess where it gets weird is like the. You know, the term Enduro was, has been so popularized and generalized over the past few years. And it was, you know, birthed from 
a race format. So like it still really has like that race format implication when you talk about it. Yeah, for sure. It's similar to cyclocross in that way where you don't go for a cyclocross ride, even if you're on a cyclocross bike, like that actually isn't even possible. I don't believe because they race around like <laughs> they race around city parks and schools and stuff. Yeah. And no, nobody wants to ride their bike there. <laughs> Going for a ride in the park. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I totally agree with you guys and I, I don't want to advocate for calling trails enduro trails. However, I will say that there are trails that I, that most of us would agree, like are not enduro trails. Like if, if you looked at right. say some trail in, you know, Kansas or Texas or somewhere where it's, it's flat, like there's not a lot of elevation or, or even if there is, it's like really short climbs and a lot of like rolling terrain, like clearly that is not enduro. So if someone were to say to me like, Oh, that's a good enduro trail, at least I feel like I would understand what they're saying that like there's some sustained climbs and sustained descents, but yeah, I would also be like, bro, don't call it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. It is kind of weird. Cause the times I've ridden up in BC, like some of the trail networks up there, it's almost like riding an enduro course. Cause you're riding up a fire road and then there's all these, uh, technical trails like in between them on the way down. Yeah. It's like, you know, this is like how we do enduro races at bike parks in Colorado. When I go to them, like we take a fire road up and then bomb the trails down. And yeah, yeah, a lot of the stuff I've ridden in BC is, is kind of set up the same way. Yeah, a lot of our riding around here is that way as well. And, you know, obviously shuttling, but also stuff that we pedal. It's a lot of like ride up a fire road or even a paved road and then hop on the trail. Yeah. And I would say that like most of the time when somebody says we're going to go ride these enduro trails or we're going to do an enduro ride, they're talking about something that's pretty natural. Yeah. Like it's not a flow trail. You have to make flow if you, if you want it, you know? Yeah. That seems to be a, a characteristic kind of across the board. Yeah. And I guess if you call a ride an enduro ride, you kind of, maybe you set the expectation a little bit that like, we're not going to, we're going to chill out on the climbs and we're going to go really fast on the descents. But again, that's, that's natural for most people. Like that's, that's what you want to do anyway. So I'm all for just calling it mountain biking. (laughs) Yep. So let's talk about the Enduro World Series, the EWS. Uh, That's a series that's growing every year. It seems like it's doubling in size in one way or another or, or prestige, if you will. So Talk a little bit about the Enduro World Series, Jero. <laughs> I've seen a few of them. Um, my partner has raced a couple of them. It's a really cool, I mean, it's the top of the sport. So it's like watching, you know, like World Cups. Mm-hmm. And the folks that are, the folks that are racing, like you can just really see they're on the rivet. It's amazing to see people pushing their bikes and their bodies yeah. further than they're comfortable with all day long. It's, it's really inspiring to me. I mean, it's, it's some pretty amazing athleticism. And the thing is the Enduro world series as well is really well set up. Like even their, the day before all of their practice runs are timed, they get a timesheet and they have to be there at a specific time and they go at that time, just like a race run. Hmm. So it's, I mean, it's like super, super organized. So what are the, some of the changes uh, that have taken place in the last few years, Matt? Yeah. I mean, it's like, EWS has gotten so big now that they're, 
I guess, looking for ways to manage it um, and to manage everybody that wants to be a part of it. So now it's broken down into the Continental Enduro Series with, um, yeah, just all sorts of different continents. And it's kind of like a stepping stone from qualifier races, which there's like tons of qualifiers. If you go on the EWS site, there's like eight pages of qualifiers in places from Japan to Arkansas to, I mean, wherever. So now it's like you're gaining points at uh, points of these qualifier races. You could set up like an EWS account and then have this global ranking. And the basically just stack up points to liken your entry hmm. eventually into the EWS. So it's like this point building system um, where you can start really local now and work your way up uh, maybe into the EWS. Yeah. And there's also different, I think they're amateur categories. I haven't looked into this quite as much yet but the ews 80 and the ews 100 yeah and those races are typically the day before or the first day if it's a two-day event for on the weekend and i believe you can sign up for those without any points but i'm not positive about that yeah that's kind of my understanding as well and the 80 i think refers to it's like 80 percent of the course that the pros are going to do right or the 100 which obviously is 100% same course, uh, but yeah, like a different day, different group of riders. Yeah, that's really cool. And then also the EWS, I think this is the first year, right, that they're working with the UCI. The UCI this is the group, obviously, that puts on World Cup and manages and organizes and regulates all that stuff. Yeah, and road cycling. And- yeah, and they didn't have sort of an enduro option. I mean, they're in the mountain biking world, they're cross country and downhill. And then it's a bunch of weird XC events in there as well. But, but yeah, they were kind of left out of the enduro racing scene, but this year they're partnering with the EWS, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird because like the EWS has already always sort of been like that anti (laughs) UCI type of format to where it's a lot more loose. But yeah, I mean, again, it's gotten so big now that they are now going to be partnering with the UCI Mm -hmm. and effectively just finding better ways to manage people, make um, racing more neutral, uh, develop rules that are a little bit more consistent. And then supposedly, like, because the thing that's always been unique about Enduro and EWS is like the courses, you know, they always change. They're always very unique to whatever location they're in. So Chris Ball, the head of the EWS, put out this whole statement and um, interviewed. I mean, I guess it's like athletes sort of asking questions and then he would answer them. But supposedly it doesn't affect the courses. So they'll still have really unique venues, uh, challenging courses, diverse courses. Um, and then now you'll have like a stronger uh, anti-doping control yeah. with the EWS since that has sort of reared its head into the world now. Yeah, it seems like, in in my opinion, I, I don't know how much basis there is for this, but it seems like this partnership maybe was driven by sponsors. You know, the, a lot of a lot of money is going into the EWS, and sponsors, you know, have their athletes and everybody, and they they want, I think, maybe a little more, like you said, a little more control over what's happening in the races and making sure everything is fair and that it's, yeah, I guess maybe, maybe more transparent as well. I don't know, but it it definitely seems like perhaps the sponsors are driving this need to partner up. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you could be right. So the Enduro World Series is just getting kicked off. Uh, we just had Crankworks Rotorua uh, in New Zealand. So w- why should people follow the race series this season? What what are we going to see from it? Like, why why is it important? I guess even if you're not a racer or a person who necessarily follows racing. I mean, I think one reason is kind of to link back to what we were talking about with bikes and products. I mean, it is the thing that's driving the mountain bike market right now. It's driving bike geometry and all sorts of products. A lot of the greatest mountain bike athletes in the world are moving to enduro. So it's, it's changing and kind of becoming what it's going to be more so or what it's going to be for the moment. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's exciting. There's all kinds of new stuff happening. Yeah. So some of the like top athletes in the enduro world series, where did these folks come from? Like, did they, are, are there, are we seeing like downhill, like gr- more gravity racers who are moving over to enduro or is it like a new crop of athletes or what, what's kind of the crossover there? It's definitely been a lot from downhill world cup, few from cross country world cup, but probably the majority I'd say are the ones that are really strong right now, uh, used to race downhill world cup. Apart from Cecile Ravenel, who used, I think she was the French national champion for cross country, maybe even more than once. So she has a really solid background in cross country and only really started paying much attention to downhill after she started racing enduro. So, yeah, so she's kind of got a little bit of a, a different angle on it. But yeah, I think you're right. It looks like the majority of people are coming from downhill and kind of some of them bouncing back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, Martin Mays, uh, he had a pretty good season last year and won. I, I I think they were almost like back-to-back, but he won EWS Whistler and then won, I forget which World Cup it was, but he won a World Cup like right afterwards, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, Enduro to me seems interesting because, I don't know, it just feels a little more accessible, like even the racing right now and probably for reasons like we mentioned that you know, there are amateur slots available in a lot of the races. And again, like it's hard for a lot of us to imagine ourselves as like a pro level cross country rider where you got to be just super fit and fast or, or even a downhill rider where you got to be super aggressive. It's like more kind of in the middle. And so to me, it seems accessible and maybe it's like easier to identify with the athletes in some ways. And and that makes it more fun to follow. I don't know if know if other people see that the same way totally yeah and i would say a lot of the races maybe all of the races i've been to before and after there's kind of a big party and i know that happens at most races or all races really but it seems like with enduro it's a little bit less like everybody's focused on you know proper recovery and (laughs) it's a a little bit more of the kind of party that you want to go to or that i want to go to yeah yeah it's a, it's a fun time. Like the whole event is a lot of fun and a lot of the grassroots races I think are, are sometimes more focused on being accessible. Like they're, they'll put beelines around the trickier parts of the course so that, you know, more people feel comfortable trying out the race Yeah, and just different things like that to make it more accessible and just make people, you know, want to give it a shot. Yeah. Matt, one of the trends that you talked about and sort of uncovered in a story a few months back is how cross-country courses are changing, becoming more aggressive. And 
part of that is to make the races more spectator friendly. Like the courses are maybe shorter and they do more laps, but they, you know, they're a lot more interesting features, but enduro is not that way. It's kind of a hard sport to televise, right? Like they haven't necessarily figured that part out yet. No. Yeah. I mean, and that's why like world cup is so, so much more prominent, the venues. And that's why like, you don't see a lot of changing venues either is because it has to be really televisable and you have big sponsors like Mercedes Benz throwing a ton of cash <laughs> or Red Bull. Yeah. You know, you have to pick a course that's going to be really televisable. And with uh, the EWS, again, with the way that they choose courses where it's like could be in some jungle in like New Zealand or Tasmania or Colombia. I mean, yeah, they can't, they just can't fit like an international broadcast system down there in the trails. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, the, the EWS does a really good job of um, putting post-race highlights out on YouTube and everything. So it's, it's not terribly hard to follow. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that just makes it a, a sport that's going to be more accessible in the future. I mean, just as technology catches up and yeah, maybe you can, you can put more drones in the sky or you can like, right. I don't know, use satellite internet to beam these feeds around the world. But yeah, that's interesting that Enduro is still in this day and age is still something that's like not, it's not super, yeah, televisable. And there's not a lot of things like that in the world right now. Yeah, it's true. What are some ways that regular mountain bikers can get a taste for Enduro? I mean, we, we've said there's races, but yeah, what, what do you guys recommend for someone who wants to add a little Enduro to their life? I think one thing is just to go try, pick a a descent that you're pretty comfortable with and go try and make it faster. Like see if you can use Strava or a stopwatch or whatever you want, but just try and find better lines, take the corners a little harder, a little faster, cleaner, scrub the jumps, whatever you need, need or want to learn and see if you can mm-hmm. speed it up and see if that's exciting. And if it is, that's pretty much what you're going to do in an enduro race. Yeah. And there's so many, so many local races now that, um, I mean, it's really, really easy to find one, even in, you know, places like Oklahoma have like a, an enduro race now or enduro races in yeah. Texas and just all these places you wouldn't really think about. But that's like how much it's caught on to the sport is that there's demand everywhere for it now. And so it's really easy to find local races. And oftentimes, I mean, in Oklahoma, there's not any or bike parks that I would know of. So they're probably on local trails that you can go and practice on regularly and, you're going to be comfortable with racing too. And I think that's a big one is just if you're picking out your first races to find some place you're going to be really comfortable with racing on. Yeah. And Matt, you had a great article about what to expect from your first enduro race. And so that's definitely a good resource for people who are curious about it and thinking about doing their first one. Um, It's got a lot of really good tips in there. And yeah, I would just echo what you guys said that um, enduro Maybe this is going to sound cheesy, but it's it's kind of a, a state of mind, I think, for mountain biking. You know, again, more than it is a, a certain trail or, or you have to ride a certain bike. It's more of like how you approach the ride. And for a lot of us, maybe we got sucked into this trap where mountain biking was just all about like riding farther or, you know, for longer periods, staying in the saddle more, getting more fitness, you know, in terms of like pedaling around everywhere. But enduro shifts that focus tries to get like more of a balance i think between yeah you can be strong on the climbs and and efficient but then you also got to be fast on the descents and i know for me that's an area that i could certainly improve on 
getting better on descents. It's, it's something that you can ne- neglect, I think, too, sometimes. Like if you're a, a good cross-country rider, like it's easy to make up for a lack of descending skills uh, with fitness. But enduro, you, you can't do that. You can't get away with that. And so, yeah, for me, it's it's fun. It's just a new way to look at riding. I'm excited to, to practice more and get better at that. Yeah, I totally agree. I really enjoy the new challenge of trying to figure out how to do things a little differently. It's fun. This has been a great discussion about enduro mountain biking, what it means to the sport. And it's certainly a trend that I think is going to be, it's around, it's around to stay. It's not going anywhere. So we'll continue to cover it on single tracks, all the bikes, all the gear, all the races. Be sure to follow single tracks, subscribe to our email newsletter where you can get the latest news and also rate the single tracks podcast in your podcast provider. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.